Hello, my name is Carl Lloydhauser. I am the senior pastor of Grace Community Church, and I am so excited that you are with us on this podcast. We also want you to get connected in a church family. If you don't have a local church, check us out at gracemontrose.org. We want to make sure that you have an opportunity to grow and connect with God. But we pray that these next 25, 30 minutes that you spend with us are powerful, that God meets you and speaks to you because he loves you so much. All right. So first of all, I want to welcome everyone who's joining us online. So thanks for being here. Michelle's there, ready to pray for you. Uh, Instant message her if there's any personal prayer requests. We'll take those seriously and you will be prayed for. I want to welcome everybody else who is here right now. I'd love uh, to be with you, and uh, thanks for coming to worship. Uh, we're in this series right now. It's called Timeless Truths, and uh, we're looking in tumultuous times that we go back to what we know. We go back to what is true. We're going back to ancient wisdom. So this series, we've mostly been in the book of Proverbs, and um, this uh, week, we're actually going to take just a little shift. We're going to stay in a book of wisdom, a book of poetry. We're going to go to Song of Songs, also known as the Song of Solomon, because Solomon wrote it. And um, there's a few different interpretations I just want to explain of this book. Three uh, classical ones, at least, that I know of. And the first is um, that this is simply, that it's just um, an explanation and a picture of what marriage can look like. Well, the whole wooing process and what it looks like for a man and a woman to come together in marriage. And so that's one interpretation. Another interpretation is that this is a picture of God and his children, the Israelites, and their relationships. So God is the groom and the Israelites is the bride. And then the third interpretation is that this is a picture of Jesus and us, Jesus and the bride, the church. And so my interpretation, my belief is yes, all three of those. I think Song of Songs is doing all three of those things. And now some of us, some of the reasons that people have trouble saying, well, this is about us and Jesus is because it is a little intense. And so if you open it up, go to Song of Songs. I might say Song of Solomon uh, in your Bible. And let's just, I just want to show you kind of how like people are like, whoa. And so this is uh, Song of Songs chapter four, verse seven. Now, I want you to think about my interpretation here is that this is Jesus and us. This is our relationship. That he's the groom and we're the bride, all right? So this is Jesus right here, chapter uh, four, verse seven, talking to you. And he says, all beautiful you are, my darling. Interesting to think that Jesus calls you my darling, okay? There is no flaw in you. Now, why is there no flaw? Because of what Jesus has done for us, right? And he says, come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Amana, from the top of Sinner, the summit of Hermon from the lion's dens and the mountain haunts of the leopards. Now listen, Jesus talking to you, ready, okay? Jesus says, you have stolen my heart. Wow, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes. This is just amazing. With one jewel of your necklace. I mean, to think that this is how God approaches us and thinks about us. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride? How much more pleasing is your love than wine? and the fragrance of your perfume than any spice. And see, this intensity is difficult for us, but this metaphor here, this picture, it's saying it's like this, it's not exactly this. But I believe that it's pointing to us, it's pointing to the church just because of so much that we see in Scripture. In fact, if we go over to the book of Hosea, we see a similar idea. And it's Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. And it's at a time when Israel is just chasing after all sorts of different idols, going their own way, ignoring the relationship and the connection with God. And God says, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the prophet there, the Lord said to him, go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery. 
in departing from the Lord. So when our hearts go away from God, he sees it like adultery. So there's a picture there. We see 12 times in the Old Testament where the Israelites are faithful and 12 different times it says, and they prostituted themselves with other gods. You see this connection? And then we see in the New Testament over and over again that the church is called the bride of Christ in Revelation. You know, just like we were singing about. Didn't the worship team do a great job, by the way, this morning? Yeah, thanks guys, good job. But they're singing this Revelation song. And in Revelation, it talks about how we're a pure, spotless bride for Christ. So we see this metaphor going throughout Scripture. And see, it's just one way for us to relate and to understand who God is. Just like God is Father, right? And we think of God the Father. What does it mean? It means that God is our protector, that he's our authority, that he's our covering. And then we see that God is our friend, that we are a friend of God. What does that mean? It means that he understands us, that he walks with us, that he's with us all the time, right? And then we see that God is our groom, that we are the bride. And we see, this, we see this passion that he wants for our relationship with him. This connection, this wholehearted, intimate love that he's inviting us into. It's a really, really powerful, powerful look. And, and if you understand Song of Solomon, I mean that, you're like, whoa, that's what God has for us. That's what God wants for us, that sort of intimacy and connection with him. So it's with that background, with that understanding that we come to the passages I really wanted to focus on today in Song of Solomon, just one page over from where we were, and it's uh, Song of Songs, chapter five, verse two. And we see here now, understanding that we are the bride and Christ is the groom, we see, first of all, the bride says, we say, I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my lover is knocking. And then he says, open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. And then the bride says, well, I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again? My lover thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. I rose to open for my lover and my hands dipped with myrrh. My fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the lock. Look, at I opened for my lover, but my lover had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called, but he did not answer. You see, there's this moment where he comes and he knocks at the door. We see this in Revelation 3.20, that I stand at the door and I knock, and anyone who will open it, I'll come in and we'll eat together. And we see this moment here where he's knocking at the door and he's saying, okay, coming in, will you let me in? And she says, uh, I don't know. And there's mo- this moment, this powerful, precious moment, she misses it. She doesn't respond. And so then she's like, well, yeah, okay, I guess I will. It's too late. The moment had passed. And see, there's these key moments in your life where God is calling you and he's compelling you and he's moving you to action. And listen, if you don't respond, you'll miss them. They'll go by. And you go to the door and it'll be gone. Is there anybody here that uh, gave their life to Jesus through an altar call? You know, you come forward, there's a number here, you raised your hand or something like that at a service. Okay, the number of you said that happened. What if you didn't? Well, what if they came and, and you know, you, you could have come forward, but you decided not to. You didn't raise your hand. How different would things be if you didn't respond to that critical moment when God was calling you? There's a moment when I was uh, 16 years old and uh, actually uh, Billy Graham came to Denver. And uh, I wasn't walking with God at that time, but I did like a really cute girl who was. 
And so she took me to Billy Graham. And so I, I was actually there in Denver during his crusade. And um, I found it. I, I found the actual teaching that he gave that I was at in Denver. And I want to play the last part of his teaching for you right now. Would you go ahead and play that? I'm going to ask you tonight to do something that we've already seen thousands of people do here in Denver in the past five days. I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat, hundreds of you. You know you need Christ. You know you need forgiveness. You know you need his peace and his joy. And you would like to leave here a new person. You'd like to walk a different line. What do you have to do? You have to first repent of sin. That means to change your mind, change your attitude, and it means changing your lifestyle, changing your way of living. You have to be willing to do it. God has to help you in the repenting. And then secondly, you commit your life to Christ and Christ alone, not any other gods, not any other things that you look to. You look to Christ alone for forgiveness and salvation. You say, why do you ask people to come forward? Because every person Jesus called in the New Testament, he called publicly. If you're not willing to confess me before men, he said, I'll not confess you before my Father, which is in heaven. There's something about coming forward and standing here openly as he died on the cross openly in front of a crowd of people for you. Certainly you can come here and make your commitment to him. We're going to wait. If you come from that upper stand up there, it'll take about three or four minutes. So start now. Hundreds of you. Just get up out of your seat. And after you've come, here's what we'll do. I'll say a word to you, have a prayer with you, if you're with friends or relatives, they'll wait on you. If you've come in a bus, they'll wait. Or you can bring your friends with you. But just get up and come and say tonight, I want to make sure, I want to make certain that Christ is in my heart. I want to know my sins are forgiven. I want to know if I died, I'd go to heaven. I want Jesus this very night. You get up and come quickly right now from everywhere. So I was up in the upper deck and I knew, I knew I needed Christ. And I knew I needed forgiveness and I knew I needed peace and I wanted the joy that he talked about and I knew I needed to repent and I knew I needed to change the way that I was living. But I'm sitting up there and the first thing I thought, I was like, oh, I'm way up here. You're way down there. And he says, well, you're way up there. Come on down. And then the next thing that I thought was, yeah, well, I got these people here and, and I don't want to inconvenience them. They'll wait for you. So I'm sitting there and, and I sat there and I didn't go. I knew I needed to go, but I just didn't go. I don't know what my excuses was. I had a million of them and, and I just watched it happen. And so then I walked the next number of years and you know what? Really, they were the worst years of my life terms of my choices and just where I went and what was going on with my family and it was just it was just awful and to think that if I would have went down I could have went through those years with Christ but instead I went through those years without Christ if I just would have responded if I just would have followed the lead the pull that he had on my heart and I missed it all for the next number of years what a waste I want to tell you, if you feel God compelling you, moving you, calling you, listen, here's the first point right now. Respond immediately. Go, don't wait. There's nothing else that matters except his will and his call. They'll wait. You'll get down there. It's worth it. Just do what he tells you to do. But no, we say, oh, no, do I have to put my robe back on? 
if I get up there, my feet are going to get all dirty and I've got to clean them again. I don't want to get my blankets dirty. Oh, our excuses. The excuses that we come up with to ignore the knocking and the calling and the guiding and the compelling the direction that God gives for our lives. So uh, we went to uh, Orlando for a conference. My whole family went. We had vacation afterwards. And um, on the way there, uh, we had a layover in Denver. And before we left, um, I grabbed, I just felt like God was leading me to grab a few of these little books. I got these little, your first 30 days with Jesus books. And the first three or four little devotions in it actually introduce you to a relationship with Jesus. And so I thought, well, I should have some of those with me. And so uh, we're sitting there, the family's eating uh, in uh, DIA. And uh, I look over and I just feel like God kind of brought my attention uh, to a guy there, really well-dressed kind of businessman looking guy. And I don't know for sure, but to me, it just looked like that he was a Muslim, possibly a Muslim. And I felt like God told me, go give him a book. You know what I told God? I said, I'm on vacation. <laughs> really? I'm, I, I'm here to relax. I, I don't, listen, you don't take a vacation from the will of God. All right? You're never on vacation from obeying God. And I, the truth was, I wasn't even on vacation yet. I was still going to the conference. I was on, I was on the clock. And I was like, ah, I, just, I, I just want to be with my family right now. I just, I just want to relax. I just don't want to do ministry right now. And so I didn't. And so then I got on the plane. And then I started thinking, and it hit me. And I was like, oh, what did I do? Because that could have been his moment. That could have been his Billy Graham moment. That book could have been the thing that brought him to Jesus. And I was like, oh, God, what did I do? I missed it. What could you have done? And I said, no, because I want to be on vacation. Oh, Father, Forgive me. I can't believe what I just did. But God, he's so merciful. And God is so good. And I mean, he just comes and he responds with grace and mercy right after me, right after the repentance. So we land in Orlando and Joy's bag is on another plane. Surprise, surprise. And so we're, uh, we get in that wonderful line of everybody who doesn't have their bag. And uh, we're going into that office, and nobody's happy in that line. I mean, that's a, that's a tough place to be. And so uh, it's Joy and my, it's our turn, and we go into the office, and the woman's there, and so Joy and I are talking to her, and, and I was just like, I felt sorry for her. I was like, man, you've got a rough gig here. Like, everybody's mad at you. And she says, yeah, this is just a really toxic environment. This is really a hard place to be. And then the chance came, and I felt like God just would have me encourage her, and I said, yeah, but you can make a difference. You can change the atmosphere, can't you? You can actually bring hope in the middle of this place. And she's like, yeah, I guess I can. And so I, I grabbed one of my books, and I handed it to her, and I said, uh, hey, this, this book is all about hope. I want you to have hope. I want you to look at this book. She took it, and you know what? She started to cry. I was like, thank you, God. Isn't he merciful? Gave me another chance. But that wasn't it. That wasn't the only chance. So then we're sitting, waiting for our luggage. We got about an hour till the next flight and the bag hopefully is coming in. And um, we, I hear just this like, 
this crazy swearing behind me. There's a mother beeping out, beep, 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 beep. And, and I look behind me and there's a woman and she's like kind of just sprawled out like this and her luggage is over here and over there and she's just swearing like crazy. And I didn't see it. Gina told me later that she was trying to go down the escalator and she got caught and she was about to fall. And so I went over there and I, and I grabbed her bags and I got nothing else to do, right? So I went over there and um, she said, uh, I got moon pie. I was like, what? And so I, were, um, so I said, here, let's go over to the elevator. She says, yeah. yeah, I got moon pie. I'm like, what? And she, and she had her little kitty in a little bag on her stomach. His name was moon pie. And so I guess what, what happened is like she got caught on the escalator and like if she would have fallen on her stomach, she would have killed moon pie, right? So she was really, I mean, she was just like, really disconcerted and so then we, we went down and we took the elevator and I'm just kind of trying to calm her down and, and we went to the taxi and kind of put her bags there I was like are you okay are you doing all right she's like yeah okay I'm all right it's like God loves you You're precious to him you're gonna be all right and I was like thank you God there's no vacation from the will of God you know I'm thinking does that guy does that other guy get another chance but he, he's so merciful and he gives us other chances and I, you know, I'll tell you what, I've been praying for that guy. I was like, oh Lord, would you please give him another chance? I missed it. But would you please give him another chance? And God, would you give me another chance? And I want you to understand that deferred obedience really is usually just disobedience. Oh, I will. The Bible, you know, we're talking about ancient wisdom. Uh, the Bible talks about this very idea that you're not the first one to feel that way. Proverbs 3, 27 says, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to give it. I just, I, I just want to let that linger for a little bit. I'm going to read it one more time and just let that soak in. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back later. I'll give it tomorrow when you know you have it with you now. See, on second thought, when we say, ah, oh, well, just let me, let me think about that, that's often just an excuse for us to give our flesh to come up with a good argument to not do it. Or, or just a little hope that maybe you'll forget about it. I can't say no to your face, but if I move around here and I don't see you, I think it's going to be a lot easier for me to disobey. And the best obedience is as soon as possible obedience. The best obedience is right there. If God says go, you go. If he says move, you move. Because you know what? God's timing is perfect. Those of you who gave your life to Jesus at the altar call, he was arranging it, wasn't he? He was getting you ready for years and months and all these circumstances. And I'm so thankful that that preacher, that he or she, when they gave the word, that they, that they, they were obedient to do it because you were ripe and you were ready and God was arranging all those things and you had your moment and you didn't miss it. And see, I believe that God puts these divine appointments, that's what we like to call them, divine appointments, where he's got this meeting for you, where you're gonna do an amazing thing and his power is gonna come through you. And he's been setting it up from all of eternity. He's been getting them ready. And he's looking to you, he's like, okay, there it is, it's teed up. Just give him the book, he is so ready. Will you just give him the book? And it's a surprise to us. Like, what? Well, what's going on here? But to him, it's a culmination of a plan that he's been working for years, since maybe even at the beginning of eternity. And you know why you and I don't respond? It's because we don't really trust his plan. 
You see, if you would tell me, okay, Lord, tell me what I'm gonna say and then tell me what he's gonna say and tell me how it's gonna go and I just need a little more information and if you kind of let me in on everything, then I'll do it. And God says, no, no, you take a step. See, this is how it works. Okay, here I go. Lord, what do I say? What am I gonna say? Lord, what do I say? Here I am. And God comes and meets you. See, we don't know what he's fully doing, but we just obey and you know what? All I had to do was, I mean, I could have just thrown the book at him. Here, blah, walked away. That's all I had to do. And you know what? I have regretted many of my decisions, many of my responses, I've just, many of my actions. I've regretted so many things that I've done, but I have never, not once in my entire life, I have never regretted my obedience. I've never said, oh, I wish I would have disobeyed God here. I mean, even when it doesn't work out like I want it to. Because I guess it'd be years ago, I was working out at the rec center and I had a, a shoulder problem and I'm doing these shoulder exercises. Actually, God since healed it. I mean, just miraculously, just like, boom, it's better. But back then it wasn't. And I was doing PT and I was doing all this stuff and I'm working out and this guy comes over and he says, you got a shoulder issue? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I do too. And I said, oh, well, can I pray for you? And he said, no. And he walked away. So what? I'm still okay. I'm still glad. I, in fact, he could have come over and said, I'll give you a shoulder problem. He could have started just pounding on my shoulder. I'm still glad I would have obeyed, right? I've never regretted obeying God. Respond immediately. And here's the second thing. Respond completely, wholeheartedly. You know, I don't see a lot of celebration in scripture for partial obedience. I don't see God getting really happy when we sort of obey him. You know, hey, you did eight out of the 10 commandments. I'm so excited, but we got to work on stealing and killing. You know, you're still missing those two. Way to go. It's all of it. And you can't come in and say, well, I'm a Christian and I believe all of it and I'm a follower of God. I'm a follower of Jesus. But the resurrection, I don't believe in the resurrection. See, we call that actually not a Christian. That you can't be a Christian without the resurrection, Right? Let me show you a wonderful passage about partial obedience. Go to 1 Samuel. Go to 15. And so uh, Samuel has told Saul, okay, I want you to attack the Amalekites and, and I want you to, to get rid of all the best. You don't, get to keep the, you don't get to keep plunder this time. And you're gonna clear it all out. And in verse nine, we see how Saul goes about it. It says, but Saul and the army spared Agag. He's the king and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves, the lambs, everything that was good. And this shows their hearts. Look at it. It says, these they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. And then if you go over to 19, you see how Samuel the prophet responds to Saul. And he says in verse 19, why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I want on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back their king. You know, and it's just like us. Well, I did obey. I'm working so hard for you, God. I mean, I'm serving there and I'm serving here and I'm on vacation right now. And just right now, I'm gonna take a little break from what you want me to do because I work so hard for you, God. And the soldiers took their sheep and cattle from the plunder. And here's our, our excuse. But the best, what was devoted to God, we did it for God. I disobeyed for God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. 
But Samuel replied, this would be a great verse for you to memorize. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? And here's this powerful, powerful line. To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. I don't want your hard work. I don't want all your effort. I just want your connection and I want you to follow and I want you to respond. What does Jesus tell us? If you love me, what will you do? You will obey my commands. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like evil of idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you as king. See, partial obedience is disobedience. If you go to your kids and you say, uh, hey, did you clean your room? And they say, sort of. You know what that means? That means they didn't clean their room, right? Did you mow the lawn? Well, kind of. If your kid ever tells you they kind of mowed the lawn, that means the lawnmower is sitting there running in your front yard halfway done, right? You don't just sort of obey God. You know, you can't be like real kind to your mom and horrible to your dad and say, well, I'm honoring my parents. And if God calls you to give a tithe and you give 9%, you're not giving a tithe. 9% is great if you're supposed to give a ninth or whatever. But if you're called for a tithe, then you give 10%. And if you come and you've got a word to give someone and you deliver half the message, you give the good part, but you hold back the bad part, you have not given the word of the Lord. See, obedience is better than sacrifice. He's not so concerned with how hard you worked and what you did. He wants to know your heart and are you gonna follow him and are you gonna trust him and are you gonna move in faith and are you gonna obey him? And so if he says, listen, be still. He's told me many times where I just wanna keep fighting and blabbing and preaching with my family and my kids and he says, be still. And if he says, be still, but I keep preaching, I am not obeying the Lord. And if he says, well, I want you to go to Togo but you say, I don't really want to go to Togo, so I'll go to Mexico. You are not obeying the Lord. And here's the thing, his commands are seldom negotiable. And we respond to him wholeheartedly. See, I'm finding that this internal and initial resistance, you have that where you feel like God is asking you to do it, and you're just like, I don't want to. I feel afraid. I'm actually finding that when I find that, when I feel that fear, when I feel that resistance, it's usually an indicator that God is asking me to do something. Because I seldom get up and say, you know, I want to be uncomfortable today. I'm going to look for ways to stretch myself and to do things I don't really want to do. And when I'm getting stretched and it's something I don't really want to do, it's usually because God is asking me to do something. Because you know what? Our flesh resists any work that includes discomfort. Your flesh is always going to say, get comfortable, do it your way, have your way. And the Spirit of God is saying, no, will you do it my way? See, our sin nature is going to resist anything that advances the kingdom of God that brings life to us or life to others. Our sin nature is saying, no, I'd rather stay right where I am. Thank you very much. Do I have to put my robe back on? Do I have to wash my feet? See, I'd rather just be here. I'm happy. Thank you. And see, I'm trying to understand here that these feelings are just feelings. But my responsiveness, that's life. My obedience is power. My yes, that is transformation. And I change forever when I say yes before the Lord. I found this quote from uh, John MacArthur, great pastor in California. He says this about obedience. We can feel strongly, oh yes, about obedience and not be obedient. We can know that it's right to be obedient and still 
we don't obey. We can feel confident that obedience, and we know it, it is the path to blessing. It is the path to usefulness and joy and still not obey. It's all about will we follow through or will we not? And I've got another challenge. I'm ready, ready to go to the next level. Okay, here's the next level. What if we went looking for it? What if you started tomorrow morning? What if you got up and you said, God, challenge me? Hmm? Well, what if you said this? God, today, I actually, I want you to burn some of my flesh away. Today, Lord, I'm asking that you give me an opportunity to be uncomfortable because I would like to get through my fear. I'd like to see my flesh die. Would you do that? What an act of dying to ourselves to say, God, would you challenge me? Would you dare? Would you dare to wake up tomorrow and say, God, challenge me? Take me someplace I wouldn't normally go. Would you dare then to respond when he actually does challenge you to say, okay, here I go, I'll do it. I'll tell you what, if you do it, it'll change you. It'll change everything. Man, I want to see revival. Anybody else want to see revival? Want to see the world change right now? Right? Well, let me explain something to you. If you want to experience revival, to experience revival, we do not need to hear more truth. That's not the problem. To experience revival, we need to respond to the truth that we already know. You want to see God move, start doing what you already know. You want to see God do something in your life? Do what he's telling you to do. Don't resist him any longer. And when he says go, you go. And when he says speak, you speak. And when he says act, you act. And you follow and you don't even know, okay, here I go, Lord, please give me the answer. Here I go, okay, now go. And he will meet you there. And there's something about our faith. There's something about our obedience that stirs the heart of God. And it's like when we take that step of faith, his power comes and meets us right there. And he does amazing things that we would never see if we just kind of do it the comfortable way. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to look like a fool. I don't even know what I'm going to say. Well, if he tells you to go, you go. And if he tells you to just stand there and look like an idiot, go stand and look like an idiot. And see what he's going to do. And watch how he meets you in the middle of your faith. So I found, I looked at that uh, teaching that I heard from Billy Graham. And there's a little section where he talks about this actually right before the section that we watched. And we're just going to finish things up with that. If you'd show that Billy Graham clip, please. Is it possible to reject him so long that you cannot be forgiven? Of course. If you reject him and your heart gets hard... You may, the Holy Spirit may speak to you and convict you and woo you and give you other opportunities, but you can't hear his voice because your conscience is now dead. But even to the moment of the grave, that offer of forgiveness and salvation is open to anyone. But only the Holy Spirit can draw you and convict you and draw you to the cross. And he draws you always to the cross and to the empty tomb for the resurrection of Christ. I don't ever want it to become easy for me to disobey God. And this is what happens, is it's just little things, little ways that we're gonna have it our way and then bigger ways and then bigger ways and then bigger ways and we're like, I don't even know if God's out there. I don't even know if I believe in you anymore just starts with these little things where we say, no, and our consciousness gets seared. But you know what? Every time I obey, every time I follow, 
man, I, I just learned to do it more and I get hungry for it more. It's powerful and it's exciting. Every time I obey, it becomes easier to obey. It's just like this upward spiral or a downward spiral. And you decide every time you make a decision which way you're going to go. And you know what? It is so fun and it's so addictive and it's so good when you see God move in your life and you see him bring in revival. See, I want to be a man where heaven just meets earth and heaven meets earth and heaven meets earth because I keep saying yes. Okay, God, whatever. I just want you to work. I want you to move. I want to do things of you, not of me. Do you want to learn how to respond to God? I have the secret formula for you. Here, there's two steps to learning to respond to God. Are you ready? Here's the first one. Respond to God. And here's the second one. Go back to step one. You want to learn how to respond to God? Respond to God. And then respond to God. And respond to God. You're like, well, how do I know it's God? Well, yeah, sure. Get in your word. Get to know his character. Understand. And like you can get, you can be like, oh yeah, this is God. This isn't God but then respond, just do your best. I think this is what I'm supposed to do. And I'll tell you what, I would rather fail. I would rather fail by trying to respond to God than fail by trying to resist God. I would much rather think, well, I thought God told me, but I guess I was wrong. Than to say, well, he told me to give a book to a guy because he wanted to save him eternally and I decided not to. You know, right before this trip, right before I left, you can ask Joy, she was with me, and I prayed. I said, God, is there anything else that I should bring? And what came to mind is our two little walkie-talkie radios. And so I put them in my bag, because you can't stick them in your suitcase, and they were nothing but a pain. Like, everywhere I'm going, they're in my way, and I'm like, I'm like where did I put those dumb things? And I didn't use them once. And I was wrong. So what? I'd rather respond. I'd rather follow God. You know why? Because he's the love of my life. The bride, he's the husband. He's my reason. He's my purpose. He's my passion. When he knocks, I want to open the door. When he's at the lattice, I want to run over there and I want to let him in. What do you want to do, God? Here I am. When he calls me out on the water, I want to get out on the boat. And when he leads, I want to follow. When he says go, I want to go. And when he wants to reach someone and touch someone, I want to be the vessel And I want a life of power and I want a life of revival and it comes through obedience. Whatever you say, Lord, I will respond. I will respond to your word. I will respond to your conviction. I will respond to your leading. Anywhere you go, I'll follow and you will see him do wonderful, amazing, powerful works. So God, I pray for my dear friends, my brothers and sisters here in you. And Lord, I ask for divine appointments. I ask God that you would set up these moments Lord, where we can see heaven meet earth through us. Lord, I pray that you would release power. Lord, you would release insight. You would release words. And God, that you would just put us in the right place at the right time. And Lord, that we would be part of your eternal plan for these others. Let us be part of their Billy Graham moments. Open the door, Lord. And God, we'll do it. We're afraid. We're nervous. But give us courage. Give us strength. Give us resolve. We'll do it, Lord. Use us, God. Move through us. Change the world through us, Lord. I say yes to you right now. Teach us how to respond. God, you can trust me. Lord, I'm not going to fail you next time. Next time I'll say yes, Lord. I'm sorry I missed it that time. Next time I'll say yes. We will obey, Father, because we want to see your life. We want to see your healing. We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done in us as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. 
Thank you so much for being with us. I hope that God spoke to you. We would love to follow up and care for you any way that we can. So come visit us at gracemontrose.org. Say hello. Let us know what we can do to help you grow in Him. God bless you.